Okay, we are back for this third time tonight, right? Third time. What is it, August 1st, August 3rd? It is August 2nd. Cool. I, I need one of those in between, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, August 2nd. Um, Sunday night, this is when we record. Sunday, 11.40 p.m., my garage. It's kind of like a thing to recap the week with, you know? You yeah, know, absolutely. Like, yeah. Uh, we usually don't go to a third episode, but I'm having a pleasure having a conversation. Yeah, this, absolutely. It's one of those things where you have like uh, what we were literally just talking about. When it, if you're drunk, your subconscious goes to in certain ways where it either branches out to a bunch of things or it focuses on uh, dumbing yourself down to be able to relate to whoever is around. Do you think that's a, like um, you think it maybe theory or whatever, but evolutionary standpoint, like that's what it is. Depending on who you're surrounded by. You either try to relate to everybody, or you try to make yourself known as an individual. Oh, like uh, trying to adapt to your surroundings. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And, and do you think it's a subconscious thing? You know, I, like, it's just human nature. Possibly. I believe it is just human Absolutely. nature. You know. Like, so, like, if you're surrounded by people who you're having a conversation with, it's more of enlightenment type feel. You're gonna want to branch out to different ideas, segue into different things. Like, kind of there's a there's a part of it that's like. Oh shit! You know they're talking about like something that I've been thinking about like for however how long you know yeah exactly like, oh yeah. shit like you know you want to get in it, but then you know maybe you might hear a conversation where it's like, go team go, and then you're kind of like dumbed down for that just we so just you can like, hang out yeah, almost like um just trying to like make a penny into a cup like here that's all I got that's all I got mm-hmm. just leave me out of it. Yeah, I get that. You know, um, that's the best way that I can describe it. But, you know, but just like for those that, you know, very rare conversations, I think for me, they're very rare where I have the ability to talk about something, you know, where every I... Sunday, I, I, every Sunday. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. No, just like something where I haven't even, like, uh, discussed it with anybody, you know, just like a thought that I have. Just, you know, because I always have, like, those thoughts where I can't always just, like, express it to just anybody that I'm around. Because, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they're just not there yet. Mm-hmm. But then where I hear maybe, like, some random people somewhere where they have the exact same thoughts. Or maybe not the same thoughts, but, you know, they tap on these things where it's, like, it makes me, you know, think about, like, stuff that I haven't even oh, thought about before. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. Like, hey, man. Like, hey, let me get in this. You We're know? on the same page. Yeah. That kind of thing. But, you know, it's not always the case, you know. For the most part, it's just kind of, you know, just trying to cater to the masses and just you know whatever you know that kind of brings me back to the i think it was the first episode from this night we were talking about how like like people at your job or people just in general in life were like they uh we wouldn't really get to know them until we were like an hour or 20 30 minutes into the conversation and do you think they put up that front on purpose where you know they're trying to have um they're having a conversation with you but they're putting up everything where it's stereotypical where you want to roll your eyes at where anything like I dude I don't want to hear any about this conversation or whatever <laughs> and it's just because they've been so used to life in general like being that kind of person as opposed to telling us what they really think or what they really feel they're putting up a front subconsciously do you think that's, uh, that applies to a lot of people we're dealing with now? They, we're maybe we're not even getting enough of our credit you know but I mean at what point would you be able to like address something where it's like oh shit like they haven't said anything yet but they have but like 
But right. and most people won't give you twenty minutes in. Yeah, I don't yeah. think so. Most people won't. Most people like if you're if you're at a night at a club or a bar, oh, and yeah? you're talking to that kind of person. You're probably take you're probably having about ten minutes worth of conversation the entire time while you're screaming over whatever music playing in the background, <laughs> and it and it's it's even trying to get to that point where you're trying to break them down to that barrier or give me something of value, where I'm giving you something of value now your turn, and it's hard because you're giving them like okay I'm I'm telling you this I'm telling you that I'm telling you this, and they're still coming back at you with generic responses, right? With typical responses, stereotypical because they're still afraid to show you that part of them where they know a little bit more than they, they want to let you know they know. And it's just all because they don't want to be excluded because in in middle school or in high school it was survival mode. Because if they said anything of interest it would have, it would have shunned them. You know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah. That's the way I feel. No, no. I mean, yeah, I'm I get hoping. That. This is an optimistic view, by the way. Because, yeah, because there are, there might be just like uh, you know, ninety percent of the people who are just dumbasses who don't. You know, reminds me of idiocracy. Remember idiocracy? Yeah, That's like the first thing they come to mind. Absolutely, yeah. But um, it's like, like okay, like I wouldn't even like say like if I were to go to a club, my f- first intent wouldn't like what would my first intent be? Like I just want to go get drunk, have yeah, fun, exactly dance, like too, whatever. Yeah. You know, we just I mean you just all by ourselves just went out recently. And oh, that's right. To, we were just having beer, and I, my my complete intent was just having, you know, I know I'm gonna have a cool conversation with you, and I know I'm gonna get drunk, and that's that's that was it. Right, yeah. but like say like to go to a club specifically, mm-hmm. just say the situation where I'm gonna go to a club. Like my first thing isn't like I'm gonna meet somebody that I'm gonna have like this very you know like uh, uh, penetration thought conversation. Right, you know, like I'm not gonna like learn something about myself from somebody that I never even met before. You know, right? Like, it's not even like my intent. Because I can't even think of like one to date where I've oh, that's you know, never happened to you before. <laughs> where I've like gone to like a club or a bar or anything like that, where I'm like, damn, like this is you know like like I'm gonna remember this for the rest of my life. Like no, you know it's not even about that. You know, right? I'm just like fucking just going to a bar to get drunk or a club and just doing drunk shit. Right. That's it. And that's all it really is. Like, for me, just because I haven't, like, experienced anything that has been beyond that, where it's kind of, like, knocked me off my ass. Like, oh, shit. You know, wow. Like, I can, like, learn this life moment. lesson. Yeah. Exactly, you know. It hasn't yeah. happened yet. So that's still my standpoint. That's interesting. But there's definitely times where I've gone where I know I'm not going to have one of those talks or conversations or whatever. I have yet to be had be surprised. You know, where I haven't gone ahead of time knowing who I'm talking to or who I'm going to listen to. But the vice versa has occurred where it's like, I think even recently we were at we were at a bar and the bartender, well, I think it was, you know, the Asian girl who was just kind of like, oh my gosh, she was just kind of like being, she's kind of being rude, but not in an endearing way or an ignorant way. It was kind of just kind of like, do you know how to talk to people or no? It was one of those things for me. Where I was like, oh, she doesn't, does she know us then? And I would make jokes, I would make certain jokes where the guy bartender knew exactly what I was talking about, but she didn't. And it was already right away, like, okay, so it's over her head, but he knows what I'm talking about. He so, got it. So, and you knew what I was talking about, so uh, I'm not the crazy one here. Right. So I'm making jokes, and it's, it's, yeah, maybe they're not hitting, but they're hitting for the people who know what's up. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And then the others, they just don't know any better, so that's There's why you just... That they laugh it off, or they return with me, like, they're thinking I'm being insulting, but I'm not. I'm just, you know, quoting a movie or whatever. Right, right. 
and uh, the Asian partner was kind of being insulting some way, and I kind of wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt where it's like, like, it's cool. <laughs> you, you, and I was almost like, dude, you don't want to get in a shit-talking contest with me. You don't, you don't want to <laughs> stop. I'm... T- you know what it's, it felt like to me, like um, when when I was in, you know overseas in Iraq, I was a, pr- a prison guard for the most part. I was in charge of the prisons, and it's that whole thing where like um, uh, to handle like a a taser, the ones they give the marine, the X two six, the uh, civilians, the cops, they have the M two six, which is about like twenty thousand volts, twenty five thousand volts. The ones they give the marines, where we're over there, it's fifty thousand volts. And but to be able to handle those things, you have to be certified. To be able to be certified, you have to get shot with them. So you got to be, you literally have to be shot with those things to be able to know what it feels like before you use it on somebody else. That kind of thing. Oh, okay, gotcha. And uh, it's, it's, I'm not gonna lie, it's probably the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. Like, just as far as experiences goes, I'll do anything first before that again. You know, <laughs> and that's that's kind of thing. If I have to do, it, I have to do it. Whatever, but I'll do anything first before I have to do that again. And, uh, and there was this moment where, like, there's a prison, a prisoner getting out of hand, and he's just going crazy, and I had to, you know, pull out the taser that I had, and I'm, and I'm begging him, please don't make me do this. <laughs> I really don't want to do this to you, dude. I'd rather shoot you, man. Please, dude. And I'm telling him, please calm down. And I'm, I'm, I'm not telling him to calm down in an angry voice, like, calm the fuck down. And I'm not doing that whole thing. I'm doing it like, dude. You don't know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Trust me, homie. You don't want this. And I'm telling you, please calm down. I don't want to shoot you. And I have to, you know. And it, it, it was, it, that's how I felt with kind of like when it's, when like a, when any person, regardless, any person who's like trying to like talk shit to me kind of thing. Oh, but, yeah. Like, dude, <laughs> you don't want to do this. <laughs> please calm down, man. It's. And uh, and I didn't feel like the bartender was trying to be disrespectful because she even said herself like, "Oh, I'm just mean in general," like I think. And I'm like, okay, but that doesn't mean I'm gonna let you talk shit on me. You know? Right, right, right. right. Uh, but it, I just uh, I in my head it ran through me like, calm down, homie, <laughs> like, chill out. Uh, you, you don't want me to start talking shit. You know, I I felt that way. But it's just one of those things. Where, like you go in, you're going to a certain situation, and you kind of know what's you know what's up. Everybody doesn't else, but you know what's up. And uh, you don't want to tell the bar, you know, you, whoever the person is behind the bar, you don't want to, you know, if they're becoming kind of like uh, rude to you or something like that. Like, you have a ch- kind of a ch- like, oh, shit, man. Are you sure you want to go this route? <laughs> if you do, I'll go. I'll pl- I'm game. I'll play along. Right. But I'm pretty sure you're gonna tap out before I do. <laughs> as far as like shit talking goes, Are you sure you want to do? It? Okay. You know. And if, and I think it comes from like the stand up comedy world where. Like nothing's off limits type thing, you know what I mean? Oh uh, yeah, nothing's yeah, too yeah. taboo. I guess is a better way to say uh, it. No holes barred and that kind of thing. It's like I think I was have uh, oh on Facebook like uh, Johanna, you know one of our mutual friends. Mm-hmm. Johanna, we were uh, she mentioned something where like um, I forgot what it was, but like oh she met, she put a video out where it was like, am I wrong for laughing at this? Because I thought this was too funny. Whatever the video was, and I had commented lol, and she had put I'm glad I'm not the only one. And I had put, like, uh, I responded to that being, like, uh, um, I'm uh, for anywhere from, like, kids having terminal diseases to women getting raped. I don't think there's anything to, to Everything's all funny to me. You know, that kind of thing. Right. And there's no reply. <laughs> it was just silence. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, shit, am I, am I going too far? Did a line? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, Is that your line? My bad. <laughs> but I feel, I honestly feel like there's nothing that shouldn't get made fun of. There, it, 
I think there's if if I were to um, seem like okay that I can't make fun of because that's too far. If I were to say that, that'd be hypocritical of me. Okay, you know what I mean. And I and I feel that's wrong. I feel like if I'm okay with this getting made fun of, then I have to be okay with this with anything getting made fun of. You know what I mean? And it is it. I mean, it turns into a political view, but I feel like it's just a standpoint that I have to stick behind, even if I don't agree with it. Like if I, even if I am genuinely offended by it. I can't allow myself to be offended by it. You know what I mean? I have to let it go because it's for the sake, the idea behind it, you know, is more powerful than the actual. Oh, absolutely. Like, if anything can be that offensive, that means it can be that funny. Like, whatever that. Yeah. I think that's actually, I think comedy is that bridge. You know, I actually, I was talking about, I was having this idea in my, I was having a conversation in my head about this, where, um, you're not allowed in general in the society, regular society you're not allowed to say the word nigger you're not allowed to say the word cunt and you're not allowed to say the word faggot you use any of these three words in public and right away it's shame upon you and it should be it absolutely should be because those are super offensive words however Louis C.K. has a bit where he literally the punchline is nigger, faggot, cunt <laughs> and that's the punchline for it mm-hmm. and he can get away with it because he's funny about it and he's smart about it and he's clever about it Hmm. Nobody else can get away. Uh, uh, maybe Bill Burr. And the, the, even more to my my point, though, like only the cleverest, funniest, uh, smartest comedians can get away with it. And it only has to be comedians. There's no way Donald Trump would get it. Donald Trump's not even getting away with saying, um, you know, oh, yeah, all that shit all that that he's just saying said. now. Right. He's not. Right. You know what I'm saying? But Louis C.K. is saying way worse shit in context. But he's saying way worse shit. And, but he's getting away with it. Why? Because he's smart and he's clever and he's funny. And it made me think about how growing up, like, it wasn't comedians back then, but who were the only people that were allowed to tell the truth to the kings? It was the, the fools or jesters. Exactly. The jesters, who were modern-day comedians, they were the only people allowed to tell the truth to the kings where the kings would be like, oh, okay. Well, you can make fun of it. Just, like, make exactly. light of it. Like, oh, but okay, you're right. You're calling them. me out on my shit? Okay. Oh, well, Emperor, yeah. Emperor's new clothes type thing. Emperor right. New Clothes, I think, where everybody else was afraid to tell him that, hey, there's no clothes, you know. Uh, but the jester was the only one that could call him out in shit, but he had to say it in a funny way or in a goofy way or in a foolish way. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. And I think that applies. To, I think that's super important in modern-day comedians. Absolutely. Same thing with Richard Pryor, George Carlin, uh, you know, oh, uh, Bill Hicks, one of my favorite. Oh, Bill dude, Hicks. Bill fucking but, Hicks. But they're, these are guys who spoke the truth, and they were stand-up comics. And they spoke the truth in a way that it captured people. Where nobody, Sam Kinison, where where it got people oh, to listen to actual why because they made it they made fun of it first, you know. And Andrew S. Clay even because uh, Andrew S. Clay really, if you look back at his most of stand up comedy back then, a lot of it was for like the undertone of it was equal rights for women. Even though he was super offensive against all, it, very misogynistic on 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 the <laughs> right away right on on you know as you're looking at it from like without a out deep thinking or anything like that, you're like, oh my god, this yeah, guy's... Without any insight beforehand. This guy's straight up like, oh, male misogynist, you right. know, typical. And you look at it deeper, you're like, no, no, Danger, Danger, Roddy Dangerfield discovered him for a reason. Roddy Dangerfield saw some truth to him for a reason. You know, you, and, and you look and you look at the undertone, like, shit, he's actually speaking a lot of truth here. He's actually saying, calling us out on a lot of things. And we love him for it. You right. know, even though he's calling society out, or that's what comedians, stand-up comics do now—they're calling society out on their bullshit, but they're able to get away with it without getting hated because they make it funny. 
they That's have the, their own deliveries for it, you know. Like uh, some of them, they just kind of go in like in a very like uh, I don't want to say wrong path, but they're just kind of like no, 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 no. Like we're leading you this way, mm-hmm. but they just go somewhere else. Where some are better than others for sure. Yeah, yeah, to say the least, you know. But you know, there are those you know who um, they can call shit out in a way where it's kind of like a like. Like, it's kind of like trying to, like, you know, pull you towards away from, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, you know, the norms or whatever, you know, the the, the prize of society. You well, know? one of my favorite ones, like Chris Rock with, I think it was Bigger, Blacker. Uh, Bigger and Blacker. That, that was his first one. That was, like, in from 99, actually. I think it was that one where he's talking about how everyone's giving Hillary props. This was during the Clinton administration. Oh, where yeah. Where he gets caught cheating with Monica Lewinsky. And, and he's like, everyone's giving Hillary props. Oh, Hillary's a hero. Hillary's a hero. Hillary ain't no hero. Well, Aquaman's, Aquaman's a hero. <laughs> <laughs> but he, like, he made it funny. But he's saying what most people were thinking at the time. Like, why is Hillary a hero just because she's sticking by her dude who cheated on her? Right. You know, what, you know it was kind of like making a thing about, like, oh, good for Hillary. She's stuck by her man. But it's really kind of downplaying. The it, women. Yeah, it's a very uh, misogynistic, misogynistic way of thinking. Like, uh, like the women have to know their place. Yeah, you, know, you have to stick by them no matter what. It's really that kind of way of thinking. And, but no one's saying that because they don't want to get in trouble because it's the first lady of the nation, or and because it makes the president look bad. Who you know, but who's calling him out on this shit? Chris Rock is, and why? And he's a comedian, and he said it in a clever, funny, fucking way. Absolutely, you know what I mean. Still it, my favorite comedian. Uh, yeah, he's up there. Like, he's for, for me, for he's me. like my favorite yeah. comedian. Uh, Hicks for me is my favorite. Bill Hicks is for, for me a favorite, but Chris Rock, hands down, is at least top five. At least top five. I lo- I really like the way he. Um, you know, Clay was actually, speaking of Jan- Andrew Jack Clay is the one who gave him the tip about walking around, like, cl- um, Chris Rock's bit, he usually used to be, like, one of those stand-ups who just stayed in one place and did the mic thing, and Dice Clay is the one who gave him the advice, like, you got, you know you would be better if you walk around, like, pacing. Oh, okay. And he, and he started doing that, and he, and he became a little bit more successful after that, yeah. Huh. And you look at his, like, specials. Absolutely, always, absolutely. Always pacing. He does, like, always he does, pacing. he does that. And it was Dice Clay that gave him that, that advice. No shit. Yeah, I really, really like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that, that, you know, like I said, I love that, like, I, don't, I guess it's a theory, but no, it's actual fact. Like, literally, the fools or the jesters were the only ones allowed to speak the truth to the king without consequence. Right. You know, and they said they had to say it in a funny way, but they were speaking the truth. And it never relates to modern society now. They're the only ones that can tell, call us out on our shit, or as a whole society. As oh, a whole. without any like you know major without, consequence yeah. or anything. And what's fucked up is now we are getting major consequences out. Like, why the fuck is um, uh, Tosh, you know, Daniel Tosh, getting called out on shit for making a rape joke against a lady who thought it was too offensive? It's the PC area. I feel you know this is the area right now where everything's ultra offensive. From people who think everything should be politically correct, you know what I feel. Uh, there's too many people nowadays, too many you know entitled rich white people. I feel that are getting too much like um like you you can't say that I'm getting offended for this group of people. So you know what I mean. Like even the group of people who the joke is about, they're not even offended. But because this is a rich white guy who's or a rich white woman mostly who's like oh no no. no that you can't say that that's unfair to them and they're getting offended for us or for them and it's like uh, are, uh, you know are you even like no calm down calm the fuck down you know it's all in good fun they know it's a joke you're the only one that doesn't know it's a joke so 
And I feel like they're trying to silence that voice of modern day stand up comics, you know? <laughs> uh, Eliza Schlesinger got in there. Uh, who, uh, what's her face? Uh, Sarah Silverman uh, was just in recently, you know, kind of controversy because she made a joke about, you know, uh, World War Two veterans, and it was you know it's just, it doesn't it's not fair. I don't think it's you know, and it's not World War Two veteran who's offended. It's people who think that World War Two veterans are going to be offended. Are oh, offended okay. And it's not fair. I don't think so. I mean, like I said, as a as a super offensive open micer, I'm not going to say call myself a comic, but I'm an open micer, and I have a lot of jokes that are out there. Uh, people are getting offended or afraid to laugh at certain shit that's just funny to me. Uh, they're calling me, you know, like, oh, you're a bigot or you're a racist or you're a sexist. I'm like, no, you're just not understanding what funny is. You know what I mean? Right. No, sorry, I feel. Or I suck. Or I suck. It could be just like I suck on my jokes. <laughs> but, um, I, man, I mean, you have literally been there when I'm having a, I'm making a joke, with, you know, at, at a No, because I get bar. it. You know, I understand. Like, I, I, I like that dark humor as well, you know? But hands down, you've been there firsthand where I've made a joke at a bar or a club, whatever, and somebody's super offended and you're the only you, one laughing. Because it's funny to me. Right, because it's supposed to be funny. funny. <laughs> and the other person, like, you can see the other person, like, oh, have this, like, uh, you know, kind of disgusted like, look. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like almost the more offended they are, it's almost like me, like... I guess it's kind of like uh, a dark humor response where yes. I'm laughing at the fact that they're so offended. Yes, absolutely. And you shame know? on them for being offended. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, don't take yourself so seriously. It's like, like whatever you say right now is not going to change humanity. Like, when you wake up tomorrow, like nothing's going to like happen, you know? You're just making light of something in a different perspective. Absolutely. That, that's all it really is. In, in the most part, I'm trying to bring attention to that subject where it brings it open to conversation right so we can change the fact that you wake up tomorrow and it's different you know what i mean that's the way i feel about it if i'm making a caitlin jenner joke and i'm all about it please by all means you know let's let, you know she right, do feels, you boo boo do yeah, you yeah all about it absolutely support i think we had a conversation about how uh gwen my daughter my own daughter i love her watching rupaul's drag race i love that. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Have, but if i'm making a joke about caitlin jenner it's in good fun it's not a, it's not meant to be offensive it's meant to be open to conversation it's meant to make you smile and be able to talk about it right that's why I feel. it's supposed like, to segue into something not supposed to like put them down not not supposed to like that's not funny and you walk away and don't don't want to talk to me because now you have a skewed view of the way i think and I don't really, I'm not, obviously I'm not really, fem, uh, you know, a sexist. I obviously I'm not really racist. Obviously I'm not really feeling this way of these person's political views. Those views are just funny and they're supposed to break down. It's about uh, the tension. It's supposed to break down the tension between what, this is a taboo subject to talk about. Are we okay to talk about this? Like, okay. 100%, like, especially like at work, I have a lot of black homies or whatever. I'm not shying away from making fun of black people, and I'm not shying away from making fun of Mexican people. I'm doing that right away, and so they know, number one, they know where I'm coming from. Right. And number two, they know I'm not afraid to say something to their face. And I think, for me, that's less racist. That as someone who's just filled by fear, so like, oh, I shouldn't say that because, even though it's funny, I shouldn't say that because it's going to... Because they've already submitted to the the whole idealism of racism. Exactly. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah, great point. So now I feel like, in in the way I'm thinking from their point of view, like, oh, shit, this fool don't give a fuck. So good for him. He's not judging me on a preconcepted view. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's the way I think they're thinking. Like, I can be cool with this dude. And, and for the most part, it works out. Like I said, like I work, you know, I work with a lot of uh, Hispanic people and Black people. So, number one, the jokes that that I'm making for them, or that I'm making that have to do with, you know, uh, Mexican people or, or Black people, 
are they're hitting. They're they get it because it relates to that world. And number two, they they already know that I'm not gonna be. I'm not pulling my punches just because of the color of their skin. Right. Like, oh, to, I can't do this for say that. They might yeah. Get and a lot of people do that. Like, oh, they're not able to make the because the that's jokes. like I think isn't that where like racism kind of stems from? I think so. Yeah. I, I think feel so. Because if you're already way. like calling something that shouldn't even be like an issue. Like, right off the bat, like, the fact that you even make it an issue Absolutely. is what makes it an issue. Absolutely, yeah. You know? And then, you know, like, it just branches off into, like, eventually people dying. Yeah, I mean, in the worst of conditions, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, it, like, if it wasn't such a thing, like, if it didn't, you know... Well, I guess, like, if something strikes you the way that it strikes you, you can't do anything about it. It just does, you know. Yeah. Almost like, I don't know, putting your hand in the fire. If it burns, it burns. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, I, I can see that. But, no, uh, but I, I just feel like, for me, it'd be it'd be racist of me if I held my tongue back. Right. On certain things. And no, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm trying to make it. Like, I had this joke about, um, and I only told, like, black homies, you know, really, like, Omar Williams is a really close homie of mine who's the capability for abstract thought, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and I just recently, or, or, or uh, Donovan, uh, another friend of mine who just, you know, a black homie of mine, but I, t- um, I, t- I give him the possibility for abstract. And I'm telling this joke where, like, if I were to told the average black person, I might get punched in the face, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> like, uh, and they might get beat up after they punch. No, okay. yeah. no, but, like, <laughs> like it was, like, the whole, um, oh, I was fucking. So I'm like, hey, man, I was fucking this black girl the other day, and she kept, I was super uncomfortable because she kept saying the N-word. And I'm like, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but when a girl keeps saying no, 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 it makes me feel super uncomfortable. What do you guys feel? <laughs> so one of them was like, what? And the other one was like like a goofy smile on his face. <laughs> you a fool. You a fool. He was telling me that. You a fool, homie. You can't say it. No, no, no. You're going to get canceled. He's telling me that. But he's laughing about it, you know? And that was because he got it. Like that's pretty cool. Little. He's, he got, he's it. got it. If I were to say that same joke to a bunch of white people with one black person in that crew, they wouldn't have laughed. They would have been too afraid to laugh at that joke. You know what I'm saying? I guess you. It's that, that kind of thing. Like you're letting your fear dictate your racism because you're being racist, not laughing at something that's generally funny, even just because there's one guy that you think you're gonna offend because you're laughing. That's racism to me. Like, no, I get act you. the way you're gonna Absolutely. act. Act the way you're gonna act, regardless of whatever race is around. You know, and that's you being honest, right? And I'd rather, that's respectable. That is that's respectable. respectable. I'd Absolutely. rather have a person be honest than be secret racist. Or you know what I mean? That's it's like, like, come on, man. You know, you want to laugh. Yeah. Like, like, what are you doing? Yeah, it just makes you feel inauthentic with you being. Uh, it almost seems cowardly, honestly. Like, because yeah, it is cowardice. Yeah. It's um. um it reminds me of uh, the Scarlet Letter. Do you remember the Scarlet Letter? Of course, yeah. Uh, uh, Nathaniel, Nathaniel Hawthorne. Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. Related to George yeah. Bush. Well, like he's a descendant of George Bush. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happened, like in between? <laughs> I, I guess that's a, a different conversation. Like, <laughs> kind of is. Kind of is. <laughs> um, but um, just so uh, you know, like you know, because she committed adultery, she had you know like the. A embroidered into her dress, mm-hmm. but you know, like everybody has like you know their own secrets, all this like fucked up shit that nobody else knows. Yeah, but just because she's the one that got caught, it's like automatically you know just like go like balls out, just like fucking run her to the ground. Absolutely. But you know, like 
like the thing that I really like about that story is that you know everybody has their secrets you know but just the way that they kind of like jump on somebody else kind of like shy away from like the things that they don't want anybody to know about that's kind of like my thing where like you are no better than the person that you're shaming uh man that's a classic I mean it's from the bible let he who is without sin so cast, cast the first, first stone, stone. I mean absolutely. it comes straight from there yeah I mean, that's the same thing you're saying absolutely and it's just like one of those things where like I wish I would apply more just see why man I hate that why does everybody who's like super religious super Christian super Judas doesn't or Jewish doesn't want to like oh you know what it says this in the Bible or it says this in the Torah or it says this in the Old Testament it says this Quran so you're not allowed to do that because of this says like it also says that it oh. also says some really good wisdom like insightful things there's some like look at at least half of the Bible where you're not looking at it from a judgmental point of view and this is like really really why can't you exaggerate that part where it says let he who is without sin cast over stone let he how many times should I forgive my neighbor seven times seven why can't because you, they don't know any better why can't you exaggerate that fucking part you know why do you have to exaggerate the bullshit that makes everybody else look bad who's in that religion you know what I mean that, I, I hate that I, I huh. it's so it's so frustrating the whole the gay marriage thing pissed me the fuck off because everyone's talking about like no it's all religious fucking dumbasses talking about like no homo shouldn't get married we're Adam and Eve not Adam and Steve and my name's Steve so I'm super offended no <laughs> no but it's that that part offends the shit out of me like dude there's so many it's literally in the Bible four times as bad to eat shrimp as it is to be gay because it talks about it four times as much as it talks about man lying within man and it's literally in Leviticus yeah that part it's literally four times as bad to eat crustaceans you can't even uh, wear a different type two of different cloth. types of fabric dude I, if I wore a sheet cloth in a show, uh, as opposed to like whatever you know, you're, that's a sin right there that's a exactly. hell worthy trespass exactly thank you why can't you focus on the part where it says turn the other cheek why can't you focus on the part? Why do you have to focus on these bullshits? Because it only applies to the part that change, that fixes to your point of view. Right. Well, is that what you're telling me? That you're fixated on the point of view that you were growing up with, and it's and it makes me and it makes me feel so pissed off because you're just literally making everything else look bad. You know what I'm saying? You're not right. giving. You're not looking. At, what did Kevin Smith Dogman said? It's the message that's important. Right. Not the te- not the minutia. Not the technicality. And people don't give a, give attention to the message. The message is supposed to be free. It's supposed to be a hippie version of really what we have now today, and it's not. It, it, that's what's the fucked up part about it is it's not. You know. No, but like also you know, uh, man. Like I think about how um, people like don't read into that stuff. They you don't, know, yeah. they just you know, it's just kind of like whatever. Say, you know, they like spoon it. fed yeah. to them. You know. Like, I don't know why this is a sin, but apparently this is a sin, so I'm not going to do it. So, obviously, it's already, you know, like, um, they take away, well, actually, they don't take it away. Like, you offer it, mm-hmm. your, um, uh, free will, do you want to say free will? Choice, let's say choice. Okay, like, say, like, you offer it to them, because, mm-hmm. like, there's nobody, like, coming to your head saying, like, hey, you gotta believe this, you gotta believe this, and mm-hmm. you can't believe that. They're like, presenting. These people are willing. Mm-hmm. They surrender. They're you presenting know. these ideas to you, and you can choose to believe this. And they're 
influencing you to believe this certain way. Right. Yeah. And um, they, like I said, they surrender it and, and they run with it. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, you can't do this, and they just kind of like run around their whole lives, like pointing fingers about what people should or shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. And they don't even really know what it is that they believe in because they're, like, that's like the whole um, uh, facade of it that you're you don't you're not believing in anything. You're just doing what you're told. It reminds me actually of uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and one of my favorite movies. Oh, oh absolutely, absolutely, uh, Coen Brothers. Brothers, absolutely. That's why. That's why. You're, that's why yeah. we're doing the podcast together because he knows. <laughs> but there's a part where uh, obviously it's after Homer Stokes gets uh, outed as uh, being a uh, head member of the KKK. Oh yeah, and he gets thrown out, and then it's uh, Pappy O'Daniel, the governor, <laughs> and he comes out and talks about like, oh, they're the rough pass of the Sodom Bottom Boys. All right, and he's like, now myself, I'm a forgive and forget Christian. So you know, and he, and, but it's just that statement he says like, so I'm not with. I'm unlike Homer Stokes. I'm a forgive and forget. Right, right, right. I'm with you folks. I like these guys. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, But the fact that he's saying, like, oh, there's different types of Christians, in quotation marks, you know, forgive and forget Christians, and some that want to damn you. If you committed a sin, they want to damn you to hell right away, and they'll never forgive you for it, that kind of shit. It was like, even back then, 200 years ago, we're getting a dichotomy of, like, how people really thought back then, you know? You're Mm -hmm. You're getting two different types of point of views where... Like, oh, certain people thought this way where it was very, very strict, very, very hard. Like, you know, like, no, no, no exceptions. You do this, you're fucked. You're fucked for life. You're fucked for eternal life, you know? <laughs> or if you do, or forgive and forget Christians, where if you do this, like, it's forgivable as long as you repent, as long as you, you know, yeah, it's more, go, more. Go through the motions, just go into the motions. Most open, more open minded, really, though. It's open minded thinking, you know? And it just made me think, like, damn, even back then, they're having the same exact fucking issues that we're having right now. Because it really, really is down to the only two issues. Like, are you one of those judgmental Christians, or are you a forgive and forget Christian? And because I'm only saying Christian specifically, I don't mean to exclude the other you know, religions. But this is a Christian nation. That's what I mean specifically by that. Very well. In general, yeah. yeah. In general, this is a Christian nation. In quotation marks, you know, one Catholic president out of like however many. You know, come on. Yeah, it tells you something. You know, and that was <laughs> Kennedy, and he was shot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So who knows? Who knows? But Same. but that but that, that's why I'm bringing up that specific religion. You know, like there's two points of view on that specific religion where it's all been like either I I I'd like to think we're moving on modern times where it's more people are freaking forget open mindedness. Right. I'd like to think it's more open mindedness. But man, it's like they just need more exposure. You know, the internet is helping. I think so. I mean, the I think. That's the voice. The voice of the people. The internet. That's what it is. You know. Um, Vox Populi. Well, uh, you're talking about Gutenberg, uh, when it was, pop, you know, the Goomber thing? Well, just so uh, you know, the voice of the people Vox Populi. That, the, the common expression. The first time, the, uh, we might have brought it before, but the first time that was ever held was Gutenberg's printing press. That's the first time that the masses ever had a voice to expose themselves, you know? It, it, mm. it really was the, po- uh, the ancient, the hi- historical version of the internet was the uh, printing press. I I feel. Oh yeah, yeah. you're right. Uh, um, Johann Gutenberg. Benjamin Franklin. Mm-hmm. He uh, used to publish under a pseudonym. Uh, yeah, absolutely right. You know, uh, doing the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. and still like to this day, Benjamin Franklin is just like a very standing character. Just like not just him, but just his principles. Just, and like, he never was president either. Actually, that's actually a point of conjecture because most people. Um, 
back then, like, if you didn't want to be president, you should have been president. That was the idea back then. Like, you shouldn't want to be into politics. You should, you're either a farmer or a lawyer or whatever, and then you do, or a military man, and you do your stint as a president, and then you go back to the regular life. There was no such thing as a career choice in politics. That didn't right. exist back then. You didn't want to be in politics. You didn't, and, and I think there's something to that, like, about giving a leadership role to the guy who didn't want to be a leader. That's going to be the best leader. You know, you look hmm. at throughout history of all time, throughout history, anybody who didn't want to be a leader is, and the leadership is thrust upon them, they become the best leaders, as opposed to someone who's searching for that kind of power that's right. already corrupted. You know what I mean? The, the ideal, like, if you already have that mentality where you want to do that. The ideal is already corrupted, yeah. You look at the best leaders through history, and there weren't pe- they weren't people who were trying to go through that for a career-wise their whole life. There were people who leadership was thrust upon them. Winston Churchill was was not allowed into the army, you know, because uh, he was too fat, actually. Oh. Yeah, but but uh, uh, William Wallace, one of the best leaders of the revolution-wise, he was someone who it was thrust upon him. He was just making, like, that doesn't make sense. Let's do this. And then people were like, well, maybe you should be the one leading us. And he's like, no, what? No, fuck no. But it was thrust upon him, and right. he ended up taking the role and, and running with it. Very Spider-Man. But but mo- for the most, like at least the first four uh, hundred years of our uh, the first hundred years of our nation, most people that were presidents, it wasn't because they were that was their career in politics. No, no, they had other jobs, and they you know they wanted to. They were just you know, like, oh, okay, I guess he would be the best man for the job. As opposed to people now who are just running for whatever you know office and they're making a career of that you know. No, oh, yeah. We, I, I mean, obviously, I think we should go back to that where, you know, it's not the guys who you think should who are been trying to do this for their whole lives. It's the guys who don't want to do this that should make the best. You know, would make. Well, I mean, well, actually, even before, like I would say, you know, uh, like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, for example. Yeah. Like he became a senator governor? for oh governor yeah. sorry for uh, California mm-hmm. where uh, JFK no was it JFK was it, it for uh, California Reagan no no um, I'm sorry um, uh, addressing he was an actor then he became president oh uh, that was Reagan Reagan Ronald Reagan, Reagan was the one that was a he did move with, uh, with uh, Lucille Ball actually oh did he really to, to, to mention not Lucille this podcast <laughs> <laughs> no no yeah but that was him yeah. Uh, actor turned political actor. But you know, it's a uh, like, you know, I guess like is that a segue? You know, where you're a celebrity and like uh, Jesse Ventura. I don't know if that even applies. Yeah, he was a good governor for Michigan. You know, like yeah, and you like, got to keep in mind before he became an actor, he was a Navy SEAL for at least eight years. I didn't oh, you know really? that. No, I didn't. Yeah, he was that. he was one of those guys. He was a Navy SEAL, but legit, le, uh, he was a you know he did missions, black ops missions, that type of thing. Oh shit! And uh, so he had a little bit of not necessarily political view, but he had a military background where he knew what it was coming from, basically. Yeah. Did you ever see a show by any chance? Yeah, conspiracy. Oh, some of it makes me like. There's sometimes like, damn, that's awesome, and there's some things like, damn, this guy's in charge of the state. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, come on. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely definitely like them, yeah. You know but, what? There's something to be said about... Uh, man, how would, I, how would I put it? Because, uh, honestly, Arnold had really good ideas. And I remember him in behind interviews where, like, he wanted to do a lot of shit that he thought, like, in politics is like, oh, no, you can't do that because of this. It was all political view, political reasons why he couldn't do, like... 
he had a lot of great ideas for California specifically, where he wanted to do a lot of stuff that would make sense. That for for anybody talking about like, why can't we just do this, you know, or why can't we just do that, and that would help it. And like, oh no, you can't do that because lobbying for it would cost this much money, and that means you'd have to buy these guys and that guys, and it's all and it would it would bankrupt you. And he was like, oh okay, and you just don't know about it because politics specifically are so corrupt that you don't really realize how much money it would cost you just to pass one law or one bill and uh, and it was fucked up because I remember seeing the backstage interview where he you could almost see like like uh, Chief Wiggum's boy you could almost see the pain point where his heart broke <laughs> when Jesus <laughs> out. but you could see kind of see that for Arnold where like oh shit that's fucked you know like I can't do this like like he didn't he, he wasn't obviously a career politician obviously so, like, obviously so he, he you know he's one of those like he had good ideas for farming you know and like uh, spreading yeah um, he had a lot of really good ideas and and he couldn't do execute any of them because politics basically and he I just remember there's a backstage interview where he was just like huh that sucks. <laughs> you know, we're, 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 and they just you know, made him look bad or whatever. No, but like what I mean is there's always going to be this thing where uh, I guess you want to address things where you want to reach like the maximum amount of the population, People. you know? Like that that's really what it is, you know? You want to like, you know, get your audience. Like these are the people that I want to, you know, address like right. the things that I want to address. And I want them to agree with me. I want them to vote for me. Yeah. But you got to do it in a way where, like, they need to not know about all the fucked up shit that I really want to happen. Yeah. The things that I can't really just address publicly, like uh, Donald Trump. You know, like, like what would I do, or, or how would I say it, rather, in a, say, in a sense that... They will do it, you know, willingly without having to ask any questions or yeah. raise any hands. That, that's just like, you know, my thing. Like, I, I just think about stuff like that, you know. Absolutely, yeah. I definitely know exactly where it comes from, you yeah. know. Uh, it, it's definitely true. I mean, I find him more as a parody of his own self more than an actual political contender. Well, yeah, but just because he's a Terminator. No, no, I was talking about Donald Trump. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that guy? Yeah. Uh, no. He's like iconic in a very bad way, negative way. But like even before that, like honestly, like I remember watching a uh, Home Alone two, oh, like, and just that one like random ass cameo mm-hmm. where uh, Kevin McAllister asked him like, "Oh, which way to the lobby?" He's like, "Oh, it's right over there." Yeah. He just lo- looks at him walk away, then he just like steps off. Mm. It's like, oh, that's Donald Trump. He's like the super rich guy. I yeah, his namesake was synonymous with like uh, before Bill Gates. I knew Donald Trump's name, that kind of thing. When I was a kid. Obviously, you know, and I just, it, it never became like, uh, neg- in a negative fashion up until like a few years ago where people were kind of making fun of him as a joke, you know, like, oh, he's, uh, he thinks a lot of himself, super inflated ego, that kind of right, thing. Right, right. So a few years ago, I didn't have that mentality for him. Before I just thought he was like, he was Bill Gates before Bill Gates, as far as rich guys go in my head, you know, that hmm. kind of thing. And I remember making references to him to like, like making jokes like, "Oh, this guy thinks he's Donald Trump" or something like that. When I was a kid, and just knowing that name, that's how synonymous he was with being rich. Right, it's very iconic. Growing up with us, it is yeah. iconic. Yeah, and uh, you know, you obviously you grow up and you learn more about him. Like, oh, he's kind of an asshole, <laughs> you know. Like, 
fuck this guy type of mentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's weird because I have that kind of mentality for uh, rich people in general. You know, and is it unfair for me to think that? Like, oh man, I, I don't know. Like, just people growing up with a silver spoon in their mouth. And it's, it's kind of like we were talking to talking about the last episode where people who had just everything catered to them have the whole... It's an extreme version of mommy and daddy pay for everything and they them having not knowing any suffering or tr- real troubles. And they just grow up kind of like uh, looking in space like, oh... He's just pretty much like... Naivete slash ignorant way of thinking where you're going to have a conversation with them about anything and it's just coming from a very small point of view or a very just... Um, limited point of view where I'm you already know you're not getting anything of value from this and you can't you're holding yourself and rolling your eyes in front of his face that kind of thing that that's the kind of mentality I had about like r- just rich people in general growing up Donald Trump thing <laughs> can we talk about this Rushmore the Bill Murray quote from Rushmore uh, I, I want to say that you mentioned it before but just uh, address that again um, I, I, my favorite movie Rushmore and uh, Jason Schwartz <laughs> is in the chapel like uh, you ever seen the movie? But Bill Murray's giving a speech, and he's really wealthy. But his kids, he he, and he's saying right away, "I never went to Rushmore because I I grew up poor, but my kids went here. But my kids go here." He says, "Because you know he's rich now, and he's one of the guys who's like came from the bottom to the top kind of yeah, dude." Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the, and Jason Schwartz's character Max is on scholarship there, so he's probably the only one, like we were you were laying, you at cams or me at that private school. So mm-hmm. this is Jason Schwartz's character. And he's taking notes on, like, chapel speakers, because I guess it, it seems like they have it every, like, Friday or whatever. That actually reminds me of uh, Gethsemane, to be honest. That's that's the exact that's what like, it was, yeah. And every cha- every Friday, we'd have a chapel speaker. And it, was, it was mostly, like, a preach, you know, lesson oh, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But still, the, uh, Jason Schwartz is having one of those things where he's... <laughs> He's taking notes in in quotation. He's taking notes on Bill Murray's character, like giving a chapel speech. But all he wrote down was like best chapel speaker ever. (laughs) (laughs) And then as he's talking again, it looks like he's writing, and all he's doing is underlining best (laughs) chapel speaker ever. (laughs) Uh, That was pretty fucking good. I love I love it. But the quote that always ran away with me was, um, I I, dude, you know, like I said, I was a kid watching this movie, and I was struck so like the chord just struck so strong. But Bill Murray says, like, um, uh, for most of you, it doesn't matter what I say. You're you're born rich, and you'll always be rich. But for everybody else, um, here's some word of advice: take aim at the rich boys. Uh, you can buy anything, but you can't buy backbone. And I remember that quote, like, God damn it, that hit close to home <laughs> like crazy. Like that quote, like, God damn it, I live my life by that quote. You're right. You can't buy backbone. You need ganas. You need you need cojones. Cojones. You need will. You need strong will. You need uh, that's that's what makes a difference to you in in a in a life and death situation. If you're in war, if you're at home, if you're in a disaster, that's gonna make the life and death decision. Who do you want? What what person wants a rich boy in their corner that has everything he's ever had in his life, and what person wants someone who's gonna know how to react in disaster situations? Hmm. That's and that's gonna make all the difference. To me, that's what made all the difference. To me, that quote specifically. Yeah, are you predator? Are you prey? You know, it really, really is. Yeah, like a doggy dog world kind of way. Alpha, like to me, that's like alpha or omega. You know, who are you in the clan, in the clan of the world? You know what I mean? That oh, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, man, fucking Bill Murray, man. I love that. I uh, love that movie. Watching um, Life Aquatic. Yeah, I remember one of those, man. 
really recently I was just watching this. I think we were having a conversation about it the other day. Uh, fuck, I love that movie. There's there's some pretty good like, um, uh, I don't want to say quotable quotables. <laughs> you know no, I mean? like I get I get what you're trying to say. There's like some lines in that movie where I don't know if it's the, the delivery, but like they leave me with a part of me where I'm like. Yeah, I might want to bookmark this. This means something. I know it means something. Even yeah. though I don't get it right now, I know that it's going to mean something to me once I do get it. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, the funniest part, um, this is one of those movies I watched with my daughter, Gwen, and she, she was bringing it up to me the other day. Like, like the funniest part of the movie is towards the beginning when um, his mentor, Esteban, you know, the first time that he's, oh, yeah, he's, yeah. he's a jaguar shark, <laughs> but he comes out the water talking. He's having a, like a yelling conversation with Willem Dafoe. Oh yeah, and he's like Esteban was eaten. And this is Gwen tell me her favorite funniest part of the movie. Like Esteban was eaten, and then Willem Dafoe replies back like, "Is he dead?" <laughs> <laughs> and Bill Murray's like, "He was eaten." <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? And then Willem Dafoe's like, "Oh," and then Bill Murray's like, "He was chewed." <laughs> he's like yelling, "He's chewed." He's you know he's dead. He's like, like his reaction to yeah. whatever Willem Dafoe was saying, like was like <laughs> it was laughable. Was he, is he dead? <laughs> like oh I love that part. No, man. but like as yeah. an outsider point of view, you know. Yeah. Like we're we're like watching this happen almost like uh, watching a crazy. play. Yes. Yeah. You know, and we're just like, yes, I could relate to this. Hundred percent. But like if I was in that position I, I don't even know how I would react to yeah. something like that. But I just know that, you know, just like being at home, you know, on the couch just like watching this movie. Yeah. It's like, yes, how do you not know this? You know, <laughs> like I'm just gonna like sit back in my fucking my throne and just like judge everybody like yeah. everything going on on screen but <laughs> I think it's just like really like really cool interactiveness like going on you know like you don't even realize that that's what's Anderson films in general they that's what yeah. I love man 100% that's what I fucking love 100% man yeah you know I, I he's one man you know I could suck his dick all night but he's one of those guys that just every movie he does there's something to it where you can have an intelligent conversation on the entire film just based on his um, the way he directs something or the way he makes he asks people to act on something you know what I mean that kind of thing he's very super creative and he, I don't think he gets enough credit not enough people in my world know who he is and I, I think everybody should know who he is absolutely right? yeah. that's the way I feel yeah just one of those people what's your favorite film by him man it's so like <sighs> It's either uh, Life Aquatic or Darjeeling. Oh, uh, you like Darjeeling? That I one really was like really, uh, to me, that was like a journey film, you know? I think that's what it was. It's like, because honestly, just like any form of art, like when you see something, whether it's like a portrait or a piece of music or mm -hmm. a film, like you uh, experience something. It's like a connection with uh, the creator. Absolutely. Whatever it is, you know. Whatever he's trying to get across at that moment. And then it, I think that if it leaves you with something, it kind of like tugs on something or it pulls on something. Then that means there's like a part of you that is left that, uh, in there. Well, not that even he's just taking apart. Well, that he's influencing you in some way. Yeah, like you know, like uh, he he has a part of you now. <laughs> that he's just like doing well, his thing. Like, part of him, maybe. Yeah. yeah, like there's always this connection, yeah. man. Like. It's kind of uh, like uh, where did this like one point end and this other begin? But like looking at the bigger picture, you know, yeah. what we're talking about. 
maybe it's even beyond that. It's just like this collective consciousness. Yeah. You know, where it means something to you because uh, you don't even realize it, but it was like it was meant to be like again you know uh just like addressing the whole uh um free will or non-free will thing like yeah. if anything that happens it happens because it was meant to be and because it happened there's like no denying it because it happened it happened it's fact right right there's right. no like you know uh hypotheticalness you know uh, that's pretty interesting i do yeah that's a good way of doing it i i, li- I like that view you know, um, like Dodge Unlimited, obviously these guys are searching for their mothers. They're trying to have a spiritual journey because their dad just died. And they're three brothers. The three brothers experiencing something who are... They're three brothers that are completely different from each other in every single way. You know what I mean? For the most part, one's like kind of... Mm, I wouldn't say nerdy, but he's like control freak. That's the Owen Wilson. Oh, Owen Wilson. And he wants everything to be like on schedule. He's almost everything. There's... There's two who are more like Lucy Goosey type guys, Adrian Brody, obviously, and Jason Schwartzman. Uh, Jason Schwartzman is obviously like a writer who's more of a free spirit type dude, but he knows not to, and he's letting himself get like, um, how'd you put it? Like, um, he's letting his story evolve as opposed to trying to control any little point about it. He's just more, and you have Adrian Brody's character who's a family man, who's got a wife and kids, who knows who he, he has responsibilities where he wants to be like Jason Schwartzman but he feels more like he's a slave more to doing what he needs to do to be able to take care of his family and I get that vibe from him you know hmm. and and you have these three brothers who are from three completely different worlds because none of them know exactly what each other are going through but they're trying to connect and they know they're feeling a little bit of sadness over they're they're having a some kind of bond over their father and then eventually later their mother and uh, and I love the fact that they're trying to go through the ceremonies. They're trying to go through the traditions. They're trying to feel something that they know they don't feel enough. Because they don't what they don't feel that they should they think they should is the sadness from losing their father. Right. The sadness that any normal person would feel after losing your father. That's and interesting. Yeah, that's because they're not. They don't feel that right away, and they want to. And eventually, they do. Eventually, obviously, that's the kind of like the zenith of the movie, the pinnacle. Uh, the movie is like when they finally are able to let themselves have tears but for the most part they're going through the motions they're like I guess this is what I should do you know because uh, my brother feels this way and he thinks I should be a part of this journey with him so this is his journey more than that's individual journeys huh. that's the I mean did you get any that kind of thing from that film or anything like that? um like I just remember that scene where um they flash back after you know um <laughs> uh, I, I always thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. Where they're like walking down like uh, it was not even barely a path. It's almost like the Indian wilderness, which isn't really wilderness with like trees. It's just like mm-hmm. fields, whatever. And then uh, there's like they come across like a river with their like kids, kids? like you know, crossing yes. over the thing. That's actually that turning point of that film. Absolutely, what saying, absolutely, what I, where I was saying where they don't feel shit until that moment. Yeah. You know, I just remember uh, the last thing right before that that one scene is uh Owen Wilson. He's like, mm-hmm. "Look at these assholes." And yeah. it, like to me it's just like one of those scenes like where like it just kind of it was funny just because it didn't fit in yeah. that scene like 
Why would he call them assholes? He I didn't is even a think, think of course, about it, you know? Yeah, and he has that kind of attitude where everything he says is kind of funny. Yeah. yeah, because, like, in that, well, his role in that movie is just, you know, he's just being this, you know, really, Self like, concerned. Bossy. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after that point, it's like, you know, uh, the little raft or whatever, it flips over, you know, they're all rushing over. They try know, to save theirs, the except for the one, you yeah, know, they can't, he didn't save his. Yes, and there's three Martin. kids, there's three brothers, and they all save each other's life except for I think it was Owen Wilson. Oh no, Adrian Brody. Uh, Adrian Brody. Who doesn't he save his save kid? His. Yeah. And he ends he up dying. Like, dying. He's like, oh, he couldn't save mine. Yeah. It was all like fucking sad. Yeah. And then uh, I think it was uh, Jason Schwartzman mm-hmm. was like, like, oh my god, no, oh, he's all bloody. That's yeah. what he said when he's running over. He's all bloody, but he wasn't referring to the kid. He was referring to Adrian Brody. Yeah, of course, yeah. And uh, and just like. That whole scene from, like, that point to after, you know, they do the whole ceremony where, you know, the father comes and picks up his son. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, his arms. Like, De- super depressing, but oh, man, super, like, like, also emotional. You know what's Because we've had this conversation before where I was talking about Wes Anderson films in general, nobody reacts in a crazy way. Nobody reacts in an emotional way. Everybody reacts in a subtle, subtle way. Like, almost too subtle where, like... If, like you almost want to feel like if that were you, you'd be going crazy right now. You'd be crying, you're bawling your eyes out. But everybody that re- everybody in every Wes Anderson film, every West Anderson film, reacts in the same way. Where it's just like, oh shit, oh you know, it's just very <laughs> subtle hints of emotion. And that scene, super powerful, very very powerful scene because that is the emotion where they're supposed to be. They're reacting the way a, anybody in a West Anderson West Anderson film would feel over a death, even their father's death. They're they're waiting for something to hit them where they can respond emotionally. That's the first scene where they respond emotionally, and that I think that scene is after they meet their mother, who kind of shuns them away, right? No, it was before. Before it was before. So that's even that even gives more credibility to when they do meet their mother, who kind of like they're looking for recognition for their mother, okay. and their mother is kind of like still, even like forty years later, has no time for them because she's doing her own thing, that kind of thing. But that scene specifically, what you said, like Adrian Brody. Uh, you know his his kid that he was supposed to save dies. Like, yeah, it, and they ended up staying for the funeral. Remember, they asked the request to stay for the no, funeral. No, no. Well, they left. They were on their way to leave. Where mm-hmm. they came, um, the yeah. kid's family came. Like, and um, they don't. It's not. I don't think it's that audible. Mm-hmm. But you know, he's like, uh, they explain it to Adrian Brody, and he's like, oh, they want us to stay for the funeral. Then it cuts off. Yeah. Like, I love like the, the way West? that uh, Wes Anderson like does those cut off scenes where on the bu- when the next end the conversation picks up when they're on the bus exactly yeah. exactly yeah. and like I don't know like I can't really think of like too many well I can't think of anybody at the moment but where you know he can like uh, Wes Anderson mm-hmm. by the way, where he can cut off from one thing like where uh, I guess maybe at this point where I, like I've already seen it a couple of times mm-hmm. and you know I kind of already know what's going on, where um, he can like cut off from like one uh, perspective, like to go from the left to the right. I don't know if that makes any sense. Hundred percent. I know exactly what you're talking about because I just I was just watching this how um, uh, one of those film theory channels how they're explaining how uh, George Miller who did the Mad Max. How he's literally directing the viewer on where to look, and it all has to do, like this is getting away from like emotional response from an actual scene, but it's getting 
camera views, how you're focused on the center of view, and then you're focused on the left view, and he literally moves you from the left to the right. He's focusing your eyes where to focus on, um, based on camera angles. And Wes does that with editing. Very, very, very clever, very smart. And and it's and you, you don't think about it because it's also conscious, of course, but because you're just watching the movie, trying to enjoy the, the actual uh, content of it, you know. But you don't realize, like, oh shit, I'm watching this. You, at the time, you're not realizing that, like, you're focused on this point of view. Now, this point, and all of a sudden, just with really good editing, he's explaining how the emotional content that he's feeling to your, what you're feeling. You know hmm. what I mean? It, it's really clever. And I think Wes Anderson does that really, really well. Better than most people. And he's known for having, like, that kind of um, uh, symmetrical. Uh, oh, yeah. Piece, yeah. Dude, I love those scenes. Like, I love the way his scenes are set up. Yeah, exactly. The scene is set up in a symmetrical way where everything is even. And especially after he zooms out or it just cuts to something where it's an overview right. of how this is faced. And then he does the left to right thing where he, show, you know, especially but like, even the way that he does it, it's yeah. not just like, you know, just like, because I know there's a lot of movies that have like this, uh, like a reality TV kind of way where, you know, there's like some guy picking up a camera and it's all shaky and doing this thing. Mm-hmm. Almost like in the sense of, uh... Blair Witch Project. Blair Witch, or, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because before that, I can't think of a movie that I saw where uh, it was... Shaky Cram or um, uh, Found Footage. That's yeah, what it's called. pretty the, much Found Footage. Uh, found Thank Footage you. genre. That was really... Uh, there has been some other, but they were more mock... There were more mockumentaries than anything. Um, you know, fake documentaries, basically. But Blair Witch was the first that really gave birth to a genre of horror films that were found footage, you know? After that, you get 100%... You would not have the Paranormal Activity movies without the Blair Witch Project. There's no way. There's fucking no way. Um, what else? Like, shit, man. Look at Chronicle. Chronicle um, was a found footage, almost a superhero movie of a found footage version. And you wouldn't have that without Blair Witch Project. There's there's 100% you wouldn't. Uh, you just give a birth to a genre. It might be a little played out now. Obviously, you get the, you know, what are the 100 sequels later? Paranormal Activities, uh, the Mark ones, or, uh, okay, look, I'll give you this, Mike, a better example, uh, Haunted House 2, which was, you know, Wayne, the Wayne's Brothers version of Scary Movie 7, but they're doing a found footage version of, you know, a parody, once you're getting made fun of as a parody, or a satire film, um, that means you've overstayed your welcome, <laughs> that's basically what that means, and that's kind of what, you know, like uh the Blair Witch just started all that kind of bullshit. You know, it was a mockumentary horror film and it was a found footage film. And when it first came out everybody thought it was real. I mean I know I know I did. And they sold it as that. Advertisement wise, they sold it as it being real. And uh I, I was super fascinated, you know. And you look at it now after knowing it's kinda of fi- it's kinda of fake and it's you have to knowing that um, you know, it's it was it it's not that scary. It's not that interesting. It's not that entertaining. And that's just because you have the knowledge, the post-knowledge, you know. But, shit, man, I couldn't tell you a handful of students that I went to school with that went to go see in the movie theater the Blair Witch Project thinking it was real and being scared out of their minds. I'm one of those. Having that whole moment of tension throughout two hours of the film. You know what I mean? Like I said, now the whole film, found footage theory, uh, film is a genre of its own. 
it's become a parody of its own and a satire of its own. But there's something to be said about how original that first film was. Because it was. It absolutely was. You know, they made that movie with like 60000 in their budget. I think less. I think it was like less than that. 40000 or something like that. But regardless of what the budget was, it was clever as shit. It was. Like, yeah. You know, what I really liked about it was, you know, the Blair Witch Project. Obviously, you know, Imagine. just off the top, the top of your head, you know, there's a witch. And you would think, like, the whole climax of the movie was, like, you know, like, at some point, you know, they end up in a situation where they're face-to-face. Yeah. But they never show her. No. Absolutely not. And it was, like, pretty much as they had the ability to uh, create that image in your head. Like, which they you kinda, created your own Blair Witch. Which was an homage, I think, to the old, the like, the first Alien was uh, a horror movie. People don't realize that, but the first Alien was a horror movie. Aliens, part two, was a science fiction horror film. But the first one was a straight up supposed to be a horror movie. And Jaws, the same thing. It wasn't supposed to be a suspense action thriller. Jaws was supposed to be a horror movie. And that kind of thing where, like, the monster in your head is scarier than the monster that you see on screen. Hmm. That's that's the mentality you get. And it, it, was, it was absolutely a trick of cinematography of film of whatever you want to right. call it cinema because you you create that you know and for jaws it was because the budget wasn't big enough for them to be able to film underwater uh, with a mechanical trim so they they made they had the first cam shooter so you're looking at the girl with her legs underneath the water from the camera angle just because they couldn't afford to show you the, jo- the actual jaws because they couldn't film underneath no yeah for aliens the exact same thing it was scared uh actually there's a quote in the in the movie, uh, where one of the guys is talking about, like, um, almost being, talking about the, the actual monster, the alien, in an endearing way. And one of the guys is like, you mean, what are you talking about? You mean you you're, you respect this monster? And he's like, I respect the purity of it. And he says that. And it's kind of huh. like, you know, it's, it's a killing machine. It's evolution. It's born and bred to destroy, and it does what it does the best anyone else does. That kind of thing, and it's it's really really kind of like oh that's a good expression, and then you're just explaining kind of giving a, a way for a monster doing what to do without uh not modem without modem, you know. Uh, modem operandi. No, no, well, no, more like um, like. We know Freddy does what he does because he's having revenge. Freddy has revenge because he was murdered by... Right. Jason does what he does because he, he is revenge. They killed his mom and he was abused as a kid. You know, But you have a, a character like uh, Alien where just or, or Godzilla. You have a character like that that just kills just Where they're kill. not humans. They're, they There's no, no explanation for why they kill. This is what actually what the Joker was based on. Uh, and going back to like villains, amazing villains of all time. Joker kills just because he kills without it's scarier when you don't have a reason why he kills you know what I mean it, it, and this is what oh yeah and in the comics this is what scares Batman the most he's a he, he it sucks because he can't figure him out like why did he kill this guy and not this guy and because he's all about logics and uh, logistics and detectives right. and scientific reading meaning there has to be a pattern which there is but he can't figure out the pattern because it's so random the Joker kills that random because he just kills the kill. And he can't figure out that fucking pattern. And he's convinced there has to be a pattern because everything has a pattern. <laughs> so, and, and it it's what really what scares him most about the Joker, the fact that he can't figure him out. 
and um, that and that's kind of the same thing you're going back to those kind of monsters were the monsters or the villains that just kill to kill that they have no reason or moment or um, uh, morale there's no ethics behind it no re- yeah exactly no reason like camera why did you why did you kill this girl why did you kill this right. guy god damn it you know no uh, mo- not no momentum what's the thing uh, modem he's uh, got no you know ambition for, you know, it's that like kind uh, of it's not even like specific to the whole movie just one scene mm-hmm. in uh, Inside Man Mm-hmm. Uh, just that one scene where I know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know where uh, he supposedly kills like you know like one of the hostages. Yeah. And then uh, Denzel, uh, Denzel was just like, 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 "What the fuck? Are, what the fuck are you doing?" It didn't you make know? sense with what he was doing earlier. Yeah, it didn't make sense. Yeah. No, but like Clive Owen in that movie, mm-hmm. like to me, he's like one of the most perfect Genius villains. Characters. And he's it justifiable, is. and he's he's relatable. Because and you root for him. He n- nothing that he yeah. says was ever like. He's oh, the protagonist no, in that movie. No. He's definitely the protagonist for me. The antagonist is is what's uh, your face? Denzel, uh, nope. No, uh, Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster Jod- is the and antagonist. She's the one like going in there like trying to like fuck shit up. Aside from the obvious, which is the older Jewish, uh, the German dude, Jodie Foster is the antagonist in that film, and Clive Owen is the is the protagonist. And I his, believe that his not his non obviously non-verbal assistant would be Denzel Washington who's helping him out but not knowing he's helping him out yeah, right. absolutely that's that's what I think we were talking about before but Spike Lee made that movie and that's a fucking clever he's, clever he's always movie. like he's like another one of those uh, directors for he's me a, like cla- anything yeah. that I've ever seen him do was like uh, like if at any point within the movie he would just be like you know like he would just kind of like pop out to see if anybody would get a kick out of it yeah or like got something I'd be like, it's an anod. It's an. I got it's you, a, man. It's a nod to I, you. I got you. Yeah, I got you. I got it. Nobody else in the room sitting next to me got it, but I got it. Thank you. Right. Yeah, I get you. But uh, just uh, with the uh, inside man specifically. Um. Oh, just like you mentioned a little bit ago, aside from the obvious, uh, Clive Owen says that in the movie, where uh, Jodie Foster says to him, like, uh, "Why are you doing this?" And then mm-hmm. he's like, "Aside from the obvious." For you know, for the money, of course. Uh-huh. And she's of course, but you might have bitten off more than you could chew. Mm-hmm. But like, what I really liked about that whole scene was that they both know Clive Owen's character. Each other. Well, like it's like one of those things. But Clive Owen's character already, like he was already way ahead. You know, just like you know, like how many uh, steps moves. ahead and exactly. Test, yeah. But, you know, I guess uh, Jodie Foster's character was just, you know, this... Uh, she was, like, a very successful attorney. Hard, she was a hard-ass that knew how to negotiate with people with a non-bullshit mentality. Okay. Yeah, And that I've dealt sense. with girls like that before. Or I've dealt with attorneys like that before. I know her character. And I felt, like, very connected to that character where, like, they think they know more than you. Right. Because that's what they have to do. They have to have... They have to, they have to, to come have a psychological that. upper hand. Exactly. Absolutely. It, almost like, a, you know, like in fights or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just Absolutely. like a really mental thing. Absolutely. And it is, don't get me wrong, like I've had like uh, arguments or debates with, with people like that where that does throw you off for a second. Like, because you almost doubt yourself. Like, shit, man. I thought I was in the right, but <laughs> she might be right or he might be right. All right. But it, it's all about assurance. It's all a mental game. Right, right. You stay cl- you stay up up there, then you're good. It's the Clive Owen character. You got to play that guy. 
feel like you don't know what's going on. He's, yeah. he's like so fucking smooth in the whole movie. Absolutely. Yep. Like, yeah, sure like sure is. But yeah. uh, you know, it's like that whole thing, you know, where like I said, that that one scene where, you know, she comes into the bank, she's talking to Clive Owen. And he's he's like the whole time like you're on his side. I believe you're on his side. 100%. Especially towards the end when you find out what's really going on. No, no, like even yeah. before that, just in that scene specifically. Because he's almost makes it justifiable for him stealing money from whatever. Exactly. And and the way he's doing it is clever. You want him to get away. Like, he's being so clever right now. Yes, please let him get away. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because uh, jo- uh, Jodie Foster's character has, like, the sass to her. Which is, mm-hmm. like, for me personally, like, that show's pretty odd. I just saw I Maverick just saw today it. with Jodie Foster and Mel Gibson. <laughs> okay. I love that movie. And I love her in it, yeah. I like her a lot. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Taxi Driver, still one of my favorite movies of all time. And she was <laughs> she was in that. Um, she was 20 in that movie. Was she, was no, she, she was playing a 12-year-old, but she was actually 16. 16? Yeah, but she's playing a 12-year-old in the movie, yeah. Gotcha. But, um, no, like, again, in Inside Man. Where, uh, like, I'm watching this whole thing where, you know, like, it's just like, you know, like, a bank heist. Yeah. It's still a heist movie. I believe mm-hmm. it's still a heist movie. 100%. Yep. You know, and they, it's like one of the movies where you watch, at least for me, where, um, like, when am I going to see a movie that seems realistic enough where I believe it? Even though I know it's a movie, and I don't know it's, like, you know, obviously because it's a movie, it's just, you know, uh, the best interest of the characters. Right, right, movie, right. You know? But that was, like, one of those movies where I was watching it, I was like, I think they got it. Fucking yeah. Spike Lee got it. I think so. Where, I, like, I didn't even want to doubt anything. I just want to enjoy the movie. Yeah, absolutely. You know? absolutely. Especially bank heist movies where it has to be super complicated. You know, those kind of things. Were, but it wasn't cheesy. There was nothing about this. it that was cheesy. But you're already subconsciously thinking, like, you got to summon this. You bet, you know, you can't make it. <laughs> you can't make mistakes on this one because I'm not going to be like, ah, bullshit. That's not really real. You know, you're going to already in your head. You're thinking that. But he did it in a good way. He did it in a right way where it was just like, damn, everything Clive Owen said was true. He wasn't even lying about it. And he made it, you know, that kind of thing. And Denzel still comes out like the guy on top. Denzel still comes exactly. out. Denzel still comes out Good as the shit. guy who's smarter than the antagonist. And and the protagonist, uh, the secret protagonist, Clybone, still comes out like he's smarter than everybody else too. They the guys who you're supposed to root for still come out on top of everybody else. They're winning, even though they weren't. Even though they play you as they're they're being against each other, because they kind of are for a little bit. But at the same time, there's a mutual respect thing going on. A mutual respect thing. Because Clive you're Owen... Right. You're because, fucking right. Because Clive Owen says it like, oh, you're too smart, you're smart to, be, to a cop. be a cop. And, oh, and uh, Denzel Washington says that you're too smart to be a bank robber. Like, you talk... Because he tells to Jodie Foster, like, he talks like you. He talks so, like an Ivy League guy. And so, why don't you think like him? I think exactly. That. And that's in the film. And these, it's, it's a mutual respect going on between the two protagonists. The, you know, one's a secret protagonist and one's an obvious protagonist. And what you're not getting is that the the secret antagonist, Jodie Foster, and the uh, the, the you know the German dude that, that ends up killing uh, behind the scenes type dude, uh, Christopher Plum. Christopher Plum. And you're, you what you're not getting is those guys that are in cahoots, having their own little thing. But who caused them out of their shit? Denzel caused them out of their shit, and all the whole time, Clive because he gets it. And Clive Owen is the whole time robbing him, him of the actual shit. Denzel comes out telling him like. 
you're gonna tell the truth now. I don't give a, I, I don't give a fuck if I'm gonna have to take down you and the mayor. I'm I'm bringing you down. And he tells him that towards the end of the movie. So you end up rooting for the two guys that you didn't know. You thought you were supposed to root for this guy, but you're really rooting for both of them. Gotcha. And you didn't know you were supposed to be mad at this guy, but you're, <laughs> or this girl, but you're really mad at both of them. And it's, I, I, to me, I think it's one of the, still one of the most. It's as clever as the plot was in the movie. It's as clever in the meta sense as it was supposed to be in the obvious sense. You know? No, I got you, man. Yeah, absolutely. But just like the whole movie, just like I remember watching it for the first time. Where, uh, just like the whole opening sequence is really leading up to, like, the premise. Yeah. You know, they're picking oh, everybody yes, up, right. you know. What like, is a jail cell? What What is a jail to you? Is it someone being, oh, yeah. like even, is the narration? Even, even before that, you know, because mm-hmm. which was, like, a great narration. I love that, yeah. Yeah. Like, he, oh, that, he repeats that exact same thing at the end. And you and you have a whole different point of view from it from and the it's beginning. Like, and I never scene. repeat myself twice. Uh-huh. And just, like, the way, like, he shot it where he's, like... I'll get to that. Yeah. But just like in the beginning where they're uh, picking everybody up, but in between where they're picking everybody up for the actual heist, mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, just like random uh, scenic landmarks from New York, mm-hmm. which I thought was like pretty awesome because I, I love shit like that. Yeah. I love that really Same like here. scenic, you know, just like taking pictures. Like I, I like Force, doing that stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then um, just even, okay, like, when they park outside the bank and, you know, they're in their uh, painter's gear. Yeah. Whatever. And then, you know, they, like, shoot over, like, to inside the bank. We are like, something's going to happen. We're almost here at that point in the skyscraper. Mm-hmm. But they don't know, but you know, just mm-hmm. because you're, like, in this, I don't know, outsider's kind yeah, of, like, it, point of You know view. how movies go, type of thing, yeah. So they're like, something's going to happen, mm-hmm. but it's not going to affect me because I'm just, like, a... I'm just on my couch watching you're, this movie. You know what I mean? You're omniscient uh, window cleaner. That's what you are watching this film. I get you. Like, isn't that, like, crazy? Or is it just me? I, or, I, no, I, I love know. it. I love it being... Well, you gotta be... It's not crazy, but it's you're definitely being cognizant of the fact that you know where you're at. You know what I mean? Like, you know what's gonna happen, but in a good way. Like, you hmm. already predicted it because you, you have enough knowledge of previous films to know what's gonna happen next in a good way. You know, and that's what makes it so much better when a surprise hits you in the, in a good movie already, when they're able to get you on a twist move film or on a whatever on a you know turn the scene type movie like oh I I should have seen it coming and I didn't that, that makes me love this movie even right, more props props you know, like kind of it thing. went over my head uh huh and thank you for thank you for putting that movie over my head because I've seen enough where it shouldn't nothing should go over my head anymore and so thank you for making this movie so clever enough that it was over my head you know you almost want to just give it so much props just you know on the fact that it, it did get you after you have an established that's what I thought Instant Man was it was like hmm. damn because I remember that movie the twist is obviously that Clive Owen ends up not in a jail where you thought he was, where you think he's going to end up during the whole film. It sets you up for the movie that you think no, he's going to get caught. No, because he says it, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, What's a jail? What is a jail? Oh, what is a jail cell? And what is solitude? You know, he, he sets it They're up. two different things. Like, and he yeah. does the same where it's like, And he sets oh, it up uh, how it gives you a hint that he probably got caught. So the whole movie you're watching, like, it's a great movie, and you're, le- you're loving the acting, but, uh, but the whole plot, you're thinking, like, how does he get caught? Like he's he obviously ends up in jail because that's how the movie started and he's narrating it, and then you turn and then twist at the end like oh shit he wasn't and that's how he escaped, <laughs> and it was just kind of giving you like 
damn, this is this is good because I didn't see this coming. I couldn't have called them out on their bullshit. I couldn't have because I didn't see it coming. And it gives you even more respect for the film. You know what I mean? Hmm. That's the way I, I thought of it. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Never even thought of it that way. I, I Like I said, uh, Inside Man, one of those underrated films. I thought it should have been more successful than it was. And till this day, I'm prim- I, every time it's on, I'm watching it. Same, regardless. same. Wherever where it's from. exactly, like, yeah. <laughs> whatever, I'm like, damn, what did I miss? <laughs> right. Like I didn't see it before, but like I will watch it. Absolutely, you know? absolutely, man. <laughs> Look, because we're at uh, uh, we're at one twenty now. I mean, we I gotta cut this off, but uh, I, I anything else to say about the film? Because I loved it. Um, I love if where you haven't seen it, you gotta watch it. I love where this conversation ended, though. I didn't even know how we started to get here, but I liked how it ended, so it's good <laughs> shit, man. Uh, but yeah, we'll cut it off. This is actually the third episode of the night, so um, if we're slurring, I'm sorry, but I don't think we were right. Yeah, I think we're alright. I want to say we're alright. Uh, there's we're some slurs here and there. We're not racial slurs, racial slurs. Sorry, <laughs> fucking assholes, <laughs> man. Like, don't worry about it, man. We're not even coming at you, so. That sounds good, man. Uh, this is Steve, and I'll catch you on the flip side. And this is Loaf, and I'm still working on it. <laughs> Steve's a booze, homies. I'll see you next week.